This episode is hosted by Alex Debris. Alex is the author of the DynamoDB book, The Comprehensive Guide to Data Modeling with DynamoDB, as well as the DynamoDB Guide, a free guided introduction to DynamoDB. He runs a consulting company where he assists clients with DynamoDB data modeling, serverless architectures, and general AWS usage. You can find more of his work at alexdebris.com. Ramiro, John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for being on. So uh, I'm, I'm excited because this is the first time I've had two guests on Software Engineering Daily before. I'm also excited because this is uh, the topic we're going to talk about is a, is a problem I've experienced at pretty much every company I've ever been at. And I think you all have like a unique uh, solution to it with the combination of your two companies. So I want you both to sort of maybe introduce both your companies, what you do. Ramiro, you want to start off and talk about Octeta? Yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. I, I listen to the podcast all the time. So, so it was a lot of fun when I get to be on the other side of, uh, of that equation. So, um, you know, I'm a developer, I've been a developer all my life and, and same of you, I've been, I've been facing this challenge of dev environments all my career. So at a very high level, Octeto is a platform that gives teams the ability to standardize how modern environments are defined, controlled, and governed. With Octeto, uh, platform teams can now automate the entire life cycle of environments for development, testing, QA, and for the extended product teams. For us, this is quickly becoming a one of the cornerstones of any modern dev experience is give the ability to one click and have a fully configured environment running with everything from compute, containers, cloud infra, and of course, data, which is a topic we'll be talking more about today. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And, and John, you're the CTO at Privacy Dynamics. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Privacy Dynamics? Sure. We are a data privacy company. We, um, sp more specifically, we're a data anonymization company. And um, we started, we're, we've been around for about four years, and we started um, in a repeatable fashion, being able to quantify data risk. And as part of that process, of, of discovering what makes data risky, we also know how to um, make it less risky. And so that's what we do. So we, we anonymize data for healthcare, finance, um, fintech, consumer data. Um, and we do it in a, a way that's a little bit different in that we, we don't store your data. Um, we, we're not encrypting it. We're just reading the data in, processing it in memory, and writing it back out in anonymized fashion. Gotcha. And, and this is happening both sort of at the, at the warehouse level, you can do it, but also for like more production OLTP like databases. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So we support, we started by supporting this, the, the big data warehouses. We started with analytics, but we saw a lot of customer traction with more traditional software engineering teams. And so we, we support um, Postgres, MySQL, um, even S3. And, and that's actually when we, when Romero and I got together and started thinking about um, the problems that he was seeing and the problems that we were seeing. And, and we thought it made a lot of sense to join forces. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm interested in that problem because I, I, like, I've had that specific data problem. Like I've worked in infrastructure companies where we tried to solve that before. I want to talk about that, but I want to start off with, with Octeto, with Ramiro first, just because I think that sets the stage of like what, what this sort of problem is like. So like, as long as I've been in software, it seems like we've been sort of 
making tools to try and help with this problem. It's like, you know, difference between local dev and, and production environment. I've seen VirtualBox, I've seen Vagrant, Docker. Like, why, why didn't Docker solve this problem? That was sort of like supposed to solve this. Uh, why isn't Docker enough for, for this? That's, that's a really good question. And I've been a long-time user of every tool you mentioned, Vagrant, even before, like Nix, Vagrant, Docker. Um, and they solved the problem that we had back then. I think one of the most interesting things to me of, you know, being in this space for a long time is how, and this is a good thing, but it, it might sound odd, is every improvement we make in technology kind of solves a class of problems and then introduces a new class of problems, right? And, you know, monoliths back then were solving a problem and then, you know, we had VMs and that solved the, how do I deploy infra quickly without me having to go to a data center? But then you had like, that creates some other issues about, around making it repeatable. And then you had something like Vagrant. And then as we started moving to microservices that solve something and containers and Docker solved the problem we had back then, which was repeatable builds. How do I get my code and make sure it works everywhere? And they solve it to a certain degree. I think we're where Octeto kind of started and, and where Docker ends is what happens when you start, you know, as we continue to move forward to this new world of Kubernetes, high scale cloud services data is, it's no longer just about the containers, right? It's no longer about just running things on your machine. Uh, you know, now I, I talk to a lot of like CTOs, people engineering all over the world and everybody who's building modern applications realizes, hey, I'm going to be building even like multiple services. I'm going to be calling third-party APIs. I'm going to be using data from different sources. So the need for tools that are native to this world was something that I, I was kind of wishing it, it existed. Like before Octeta was an architect at Atlassian and he was like, oh, I wish this existed. And at some point I was like, well, maybe I can take a shot. So, and that's the problem we solve, right? Is, is this new world of, it no longer makes sense to replicate applications locally because now they're like fully cloud native. So the idea is, hey, why don't you just have a dev environment that's also cloud native, but without losing all the cool stuff about, you know, running things locally is very fast. And historically, remote dev environments are like IDEs on your browser that don't perform as well and, and some limitations. And, and this new generation of dev environments that we're pushing it's what I hope is the best of both worlds is I'll give you the speed of local dev. You have your IDE, you have your source code, all, all your scripts, all your customizations, you know, your custom fonts, your custom terminal that I, that I have, but with the ease of use of one command, one button and a full environment is running. And, and that's what like our customers and I'm very happy to count Dynamics, as one of our customers, are, are seeing as a huge value of this new way of doing things. And, and that's just the beginning, right? Now you can, you can talk about where data fits into this, where other types of workloads scale. But at a very high level, I think, as, as you said, everybody has this problem. I've, I've been in the industry for close to 20 years now, and large companies, small companies, you know, like generation-defining companies like Microsoft, Atlassian, we had that problem there. So it's, it's, it's here and I think we have a good chance at solving it. Um, and and I, I do believe that this world of 
cloud-based remote environments fully configured is is the way forward. Yep, yep. And I saw your history. You're saying Microsoft Atlassian, great companies, but also I saw you at you worked at it for Elastic Box, which is like another great developer experience company back in the day. So I I I know that this is like near and dear to your heart. And, yeah, and it hasn't been planned, but yes, every every company I work for, uh, I eventually, I guess it's my calling in life. It's it's really about developer tools, making it easier and, and faster for everybody else. Even Atlassian, uh, even though I was working for HipChat which was not a dev-first product, I should say. Internally, still, I was always driven to this kind of challenges. It's just, you know, the more effective we can make dev teams, everybody wins. Yeah, okay. So walk me through that. Imagine I have some sort of application, you know, maybe I have a few different services. I've got uh, Postgres and also maybe a few, maybe even a few cloud services running this on, on Kubernetes mostly. What does this look like to get started with Octeto? Yeah, so the way the way it looks like is, and we have a, a SaaS service, super easy to start. You go to Octeto.com, create an account, and, and you can run it. So the, the thing that you need to provide Octeto is a container, a Docker file, or if you're in the world of Kubernetes, a Helm chart. We support Docker Compose, Helm, pretty much everything else, but most of our, most of our users fall either on Docker Compose or, or Helm. So if you put that on a repo, you point Octeto to that repo and you click deploy. And we built all, all these things in, inside of Octeto so that we will take that application definition manifest, will detect which artifacts need to be built, detect what workloads need to be created, you know, like containers, databases. We have a, a data catalog feature where you can like hook up to data. And, and then we deploy that. And, and the goal is that every developer is able to do this with one click self-service. That's kind of like the get started. Then on top of that, there's this special manifest of Teledo.yaml that you put on the repo where you start to define what we call kind of like the full developer experience automation is which application you're going to deploy, which images you're building on Octeto and which ones you're just pulling from your CI or from a public repo. Uh, are you using a data like pre-created data or are you going to like do it on the fly? Are you going to integrate with Presidio Dynamics to pull data that has been anonymized? You, you define all these things here. And then you also define, which is my favorite part, the interaction with the developers. Things like, do you want to do code synchronization? Do you want to do remote debugging? So once you set up this file, you check this file in on your repo, and then everybody in your team, they just go to Octeto, click deploy on that repo, and they get the same experience. Everybody gets their own workloads in their own space, their own network configuration, they're seeking their own files. And, and that's how you get started. And then from there we have, as you can imagine, a lot more features for like bigger teams. Uh, if you wanna use environments on development, we support that. On preview, which is any pull request, you know, you wanna create an environment on your pull request, is the same configuration file, QA. Uh, some of our customers are even using Octeto uh, to demo this to their customers uh, or to demo features on like big conferences. Um, I think one of the cool things we discover is that once you give a team the ability to self-service, get a copy of an application, everybody in the company can use this for like all the different functions. So we're very focused on the dev test preview aspect of this, but uh, you can definitely use it for a a lot of other things, which is one of the most exciting things about ephemeral environments for me. 
Yeah, I love that. Especially love that last part. Like we don't even know the new use cases that will be unlocked because you can have these sorts of things. Sort of how it's changed with CI/CD and more, um, you know, just frequent deploys to production all the time and 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 things like that. So that's yeah, that's really cool. Um, and and now I want to move a little bit into like the the second half of this, right? Because you know, at previous companies. We work on getting a decent local environment or cloud environment for all that stuff. But then I finally get this, this environment up and it's just like empty. It, there's no data in it, right? And it doesn't look like anything meaningful. So now I have to like put all my own data in it. Uh, I believe this is where Privacy Dynamics comes in. So John, tell me tell me how that works and like where Privacy Dynamics works with, you know, ephemeral environments um, like Octeto. Sure. And, and just to backtrack a little bit, you know, Romero talked about um, enabling dev teams. We, we started by trying to um, enable data teams and unlocking all this data that go, goes unused today, making it easier for data scientists, data engineers, analytics engineers to get their data or get data they need. Um, and we originally built our system on top of what's called the modern data stack, where people are using all these SaaS-based cloud tools, Fivetran to ingest, DBT to transform, uh, Snowflake, BigQuery, um, and then maybe a tool like Census or, or HighTouch to, to push that data back out. Um, but now, you know, is if the if the database is already in the cloud, then it's it's pretty easy for us to connect to it, read data in, process that memory, um, determine is there anything risky in the data or not, and then land it someplace else in the cloud. And then from there, you can snapshot it and make it available to 50 or 100 additional engineers. Um, but it's, it's like you said, having, having your application running is one thing. And I think we've gotten to the point now where it's easy to, to develop with production-grade infrastructure because of tools like Octeto. But you still need to have production-grade data. And I, so I think like, I immediately think of the company I was at probably eight years ago now that someone at some point wrote some script, it ran once a week and it connected to our Mongo database, pulled it out, did a, a little bit of anonymization and dumped it somewhere. And that was like our, our data dump for the week. Um, tell me like what sort of complexity I'm missing or whoever is missing in, in doing that and, and what sort of trouble they're going to get into uh, from doing doing sort of these ad hoc manual things like that. Many engineers that I've spoken with that enjoy doing that work um, and their time is usually better served working on actual product features. But more importantly, um, you're not like you have to handle two things. You have to handle direct identifiers, phone numbers, social security numbers. Um, but even if you remove those, there are still attributes in the data. If, if this is data about individuals that can be used to re-identify people. So think of age, gender, location. Those are things that by themselves are, are perfectly fine, but they can be co combined together to re-identify people. So for healthcare data, um, it just there's a higher standard that you have to meet to show that you're not working with personal information. Same is true with financial data. And that's where that's where it gets really complicated and probably an engineer, you know, maybe an engineering team could figure it out, but it would be a huge, a huge burden to do it. And we can process your data, you know, a million records in under a minute. And we can, you can run it every day. You can even run it multiple times per day. And then that way you've always got fresh data to work with. 
Yeah, yeah. When I was looking at your site, I I saw that stat about how like 87% of the people in the US can be identified just by like zip code, gender, and birthday. And it just like made me cringe thinking about like that data that we were just spewing all over these environments and be like, oh man, I'm sure people weren't thinking about like a lot of the identifiable stuff. They got, you know, maybe the the name, you know, social security or something like that, but not not all that other stuff. So it just, uh, yeah, it made me worried. Okay, tell me, you said, um, you said a million records a minute. Like, how long does a, a process take if I have a pretty good sized database? And, and does that put a lot of load on my database? What does that look like? Um, yeah, I mean, it, your mileage may vary, as as we always say. Yeah. But uh, we typically see a lot of the time is actually just reading from and writing to the databases. Um, and uh, again, it's 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 not real time, but it's it's really, really fast. And so, you know, we have customers that are running it every 10 minutes. Um, analytics teams are typically running it less frequently, maybe, you know, twice a day or once a day. Um, but for dev teams, it's, you can, you can set it and forget it. And um, it's, it's, you know, a few minutes and you've got a full copy of production. Yep, cool. Can I do like a subset of production or is it, is it just easiest to just do the, the full exports and get all the relationships and all that sort of stuff too? Yeah, you, you, can, you can do a subset um, and we see customers do that too. We, another thing, another use case, well, there are a couple of pretty common use cases. One is testing out your database migrations. So, you know, spinning up an ephemeral environment in Octeto, um, running your migration on production-like data to verify that nothing's going to fail when you actually run the, the migration in production. And also stress testing. Uh, we, we hear that over and over. So while for, you know, for developer speed, maybe it's better for them to be working with a subset, but you can't forget to run it against a full-size database at, you know, just to catch those bugs as quickly and as early as, as possible in the process. Okay, so one thing I've seen just in, you know, the last five, seven years with, with things like Netlify, Vercel, very good at like preview environments, right? I, I make a new PR, it pushes it up there, gets it. And, and that seems easy in the front end part of the stack. And then like the stateful part of the stack it is harder. Is that a pattern that you're seeing a lot where like every PR, it spins up, um, you know, a new Octeto sort of environment, it, it loads in some data for that. What's that sort of look like? That That is part of what, you know, as, as, as our customers adopt or our users, right, adopt Octeto. That is typically one of the very first things that they want is, hey, I think once, you know, it's easy to understand how having, you know, a realistic environment in your PR makes sense. It's a lot easier. You can click around and see things. And, and when I talk to like, prospects most people say yeah that's great for front end but i need the rest and, and i was like yeah we do full stack and when we talk about this we talk about the importance of doing it for everything and that's where you know the comment you said earlier comes into picture which is you want like without data an application is like empty state never fails right it's always when you have data and that's why when when journalists are talking about this both of us kind of like clicked on, on how crucial it is that you have these preview environments. I think, honestly, and I'm biased here, but I've been using preview environments since like the Heroku days. And even on our samples is the first thing I set up because it just makes my life so much easier. So when I talk to customers, I'm like, how can you not have this? Whether it's Octeto 
or something else. It's such a, it's such a value add, super low lift, right? But then we were talking about this. We say, hey, but without data, are you really exercising your application? Are you really, you know, I, I have stories of so many times where, forget about like the, the edge case of like privacy or scale. Simply something like there's a form where nobody thought about how some last names have more than one word or they have a hyphen or a non-ASCII character because, you know, outside of the U.S., in Latin America and in other parts of the world, right? Or my favorite, which is people making, hey, name must have more than three characters. And then you're like, well, there's names that only have one character or two. Um, so having this data in your previous environments catches so many things. And that's where I think the approach that, that John and, and his team took with Cross Dynamics makes a lot of sense because this is not like fake data that you kind of like wrote a script once and, and created 10 users. This is like, hey, let me take data that it's real, massage it so that you don't run the risk of like, as, as I was saying, of like outing people or whatever and get this validation. And for me, that is what every modern you know, team needs because applications have multiple pieces. It's hard to know just by reading code uh, if they're going to work. Also, this way you can enable more people and data has to be there because that's when you know, like, it's what matters, right? Like uh, any application, like without the data, it's like, well, it's great, it's pretty, but does it really work? And I think as well, like something like Person Dynamics was really needed. I've never seen any other company. You know, I, I come from the world that you describe of like developers writing scripts to create synthetic data that's always out of date, that's always kind of simplistic. Uh, and, and having something like what they do, it's it's such a big game changer that I I hope we can see it more because it's not only risky to have production data, in some cases it's not compliant, but it does make our life easier. So this is a great in-between of like real data without infringing trust and privacy issues, but with all the benefits of like catching things as, as soon as possible. And 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 Alex, to your to your point about getting the data into the environments, I think um, today with you know as powerful as the cloud is, and if the database is already if you know if you've got the production data is already in the cloud, anonymizing it, landing it someplace else, snapshotting it with all the tools of all the different cloud providers, it's 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 you know orders of magnitude easier than even five years ago. So. Ramirez, you mentioned that Octeto sort of inter interacts with cloud services as well. Like, can I define things like S3 buckets, SQSQs, things like that? If I, if I'm even like, I mean, I guess, how are people running databases? Are they running them on Kubernetes, or they're using RDS or, or managed services there? Yeah. So um, when we started the, the product, it was very focused on containers. So kind of like a step one was just spin up everything on, on Kubernetes, get you know. If you're using Postgres, use Postgres, using Mongo, you know, in the cloud, put it in. And that's how most of our customers kind of get started. It's faster, it's cheaper, everything there. However, as we talk to um, to more people, there is a need for, as, as John said, this kind of like production grade infrastructure in aspect of dev. And that is part of what we're working on is you can today start like spinning up databases and attach them to Octeto is, is part of what it's in a roadmap and one of the key things we're working on. And if you check our website in the next few weeks, 
there might be something around this there. But it's yeah. it's definitely, you know, as 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 our product matures, it's clear that, you know, applications are not homogeneous. Applications do not live just on the cloud or just on Kubernetes or just on serverless. Uh, and you need, you know, for us, it's key to be able to support as much as, as possible. So we'll be integrating with, you know, all the infras code providers, all the cloud providers to make it easier to, to build this developer experience. Well, that's what we talk about. Now we talk more about developer experience automation and not just FML environments, because this goes beyond the environment. This is your code, your stateful applications, your data, even in some cases, uh, integration with other tools. We have some demos on the website of how you can use Octeto with Postman for API testing, with LaunchDarkly to integrate feature flags into your dev workflow. And the same goes for like cloud services. The idea is you integrate everything, everything gets defined uh, in Octeto. We're gonna have, we have some samples of how to integrate all these things. And with that, your entire team, like they don't have to go through all these complexities. Like they're there and if they need to, it's available. But my goal is that you know, the 80, 20, 80% of developers should be able to click deploy and have a fully running dev environment with containers, with databases, with clean data, without them even realizing, hey, where is this coming from? Because they shouldn't, right? They should be focusing on, hey, I'm building a school feature. Great. And your data is there and your workloads are there. And, and that way, that's how you unlock efficiency and Developers really have the time and, and mind space to innovate and, and do these wonderful things rather than being stuck, trying to figure out why this script that we all wrote at some point in our careers is no longer loading or working or whatever. Yeah, yeah. For those more ephemeral environments, especially like PR things where I, I want that sort of spun up quickly, do you see people sharing a database across multiple, like maybe spinning up the database once, loading it up, either because RDS is slow to spin up or because I have, you know, 500 gigs of data I need to load in there. Do you see some of that or do you try and keep it as clean as possible for every single environment? It's, it's, it's a good question. Um, and I'm sure John has a lot of opinions on, on data as well. But for me, and, and kind of like when I think of this from like the ideal world, you want a clean environment. You want something that is standalone. Because for me, one of the really most valuable parts of this ephemeral environment, especially especially for, for PRs, is that that's a functional link, which means I can go, I can use the application, I can try functionality, I can, I can really use it as a user to make sure that, hey, whatever we're building makes sense. So when you're sharing data, this becomes more complex. We for our data feature, the one that integrates with Privacy Dynamics, we built a lot of like internal stuff to allow you to like clone data very fast because we believe that is the right path forward. However, and I tell this to our customers all the time, there's a big it depends because not all data, like certain databases, we have customers who are working with like legacy databases, uh, you know, have a big Oracle warehouse or a big, even something like on a mainframe. You can't clone those, right? So for those, you need to figure out a better way. Um, our product is very extensible because of this. And, and the idea is you build your experience. We give you some advice on the, what we think are the best path forward. And that's where like getting data from, from, you know, from production, cleaning it with price dynamics, put it on a snapshot, make that available to all your environments. Uh, it's to me the ideal world, especially because with Octero, 
Dev, Test, Preview Environments, they're all the same. They're created in different moments. They have a different life cycle, but they're using the same configuration, the same data and, and workload catalogs. So that part is, is taken care of, but not all data is as easy to manipulate. Uh, I, I mean, John, you and your team manage very large data. So I'm sure you've, you've seen everything from multiple terabytes to small. So I'm curious what you think about this. Uh, I totally agree. Each environment needs its own database. Um, you, you, can't, you can't work on some feature or bug if some other environment is, is changing that data and, and changing the assumptions that you're making. Great. Um, tell me a little bit. So I know Privacy Dynamics does both sort of OLTP, OL, OLAP stuff. Like, what are the the different challenges in that more analytics type world with with some of this stuff? Um, larger larger scale data for sure, um, and also um, fine tuning. So, you know, we're taking your production data and we're we're first looking to see, are there any records at risk? Are there any essentially outliers? And, and you know, it could be that only a small percentage of them, of those records are at risk. And so the rest of them, all the rest of the records are, are just passed through. We're not touching them. Trying to maintain uh, as high data utility. But there's a, there's, there's a trade-off um, spectrum. You know, one far end is data privacy and the other far end is data utility. And so that's really uh, probably where we spend more time in analytics, where you're trying to derive insights. Um, you know, maybe maybe you're more interested in location than age. You know, you, you want to do some some marketing campaign, and, you, and you're and you're specifically interested in a certain part of Manhattan or Brooklyn, um, and you're less interested in um, other aspects of the data. Whereas you know, for software engineers, you know, they're less worried about, they're less concerned about the utility. You know, they want um, 50 columns in the, in the source table. They want 50 columns in the output. And as long as something looks like a phone number or an email address, then that's fine. For this, um, you know, ephemeral environment stuff I was talking about with Ramiro, if, if I'm, you know, if I have a decent team, we're spinning up multiple PRs a day and creating that database every time, is it going to sort of suck it from my production database every time? Or can I carry a, a snapshot on, on S3 and that's where it's going to load from every time? Or, or what does that look like? It's exactly what you described. Uh, for, for most of our, of, of our customers, they, they have some setup like that where, you know, they decouple the creation of this snapshot. And normally what we recommend is, is what you said. Hey, once a day or once whatever your time period is, go get the copy for production, run it through Power Dynamics, clean that data, and then put it somewhere as tree in the in the in your cube cluster and make that accessible. I think that's a better pattern because one of the things that we like have hard data on this, and it's kind of obvious, right? Developers don't like to wait. So yeah. if every time, and for me, that's that's been one of the guiding lights with our product is you click deploy, you need your environment as fast. Like if it takes more than a few minutes, developers will be like, you know what, this is too slow, whatever, I'm gonna do something else. And, and, and they're just going to stop using this, this, this way of, of working. So for all of our customers, we always kind of sit down with them as part of the onboarding and talk about, you know, how can we speed things up as much as possible? And, and for me, one of the kind of low-hanging fruits is always to decouple the creation of artifacts from 
the actual experience. So most developers don't care about like, do I have data from last second? In most cases, like, do I have data from the latest version, schema or whatever iteration? So having that click and launch, to me, is a lot more valuable than the high fidelity. And you can set it up this way, but the high fidelity to the second, at least for the use cases we are focused on, you know, dev, test, preview, demos, are is less important. The, the speed, the I, because you know, once developers buy into this idea of different environments, they might have five or six running at the same time, different features, different tests, different setups, plus the ones in PR, plus maybe noticed another one where they're trying to reproduce a bug from a few days ago. And then you know, some of our customers might have, yeah, five, seven environments running parallel. So you have to wait every time for a few minutes while, while the data gets replicated, then you're going to give up and, and speed wins. And, you know, I, I don't know when I, when I'm inspired, I want to write, like fix a bug or write some code. I don't want these things to get in the way. I want it to be right. fast. You want to like, keep hey, that give me an environment and it can, yeah, and I, I push a tick so it can never be fast enough. You know, <laughs> it's like, I need yeah. it now. <laughs> You got that endorphin rush. You want to keep that going. I, like, there's nothing like getting in that. Uh, one one problem I remember too from a, a previous company is, hey, we had a bunch of different services, right? And I'm only working on one at a time. But when I'm work, testing that one or, or seeing if it's working, it might need to interact with other ones in different ways. Uh, with Octeto, do I do I sort of deploy all five of my services and, and see how they interact, or do I deploy my one and maybe there's like sort of like some shared ones where it can call out to those in my dev environment? What is how do how do I handle that sort of problem? Yeah, this is, you're hitting all of our, all of our, all of the points I talk when I talk about it. That's amazing. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so ideally, and my recommendation, just like with data, is you want a fully isolated environment. So you should deploy everything. And and five like five is a small number. We have customers that might deploy 30, 40 microservices per environment. One of the reasons why we bet so strongly early on on Kubernetes is because Kubernetes is great for spinning up workloads, high density and fast. Like if you had to do the same thing on VMs, that's a different story, but we have a cluster and we have customers, they might have 200, 300 developers on a single cluster spinning up environments with like 50, 60 microservices per developer. And that was really well. We have a feature that's called divert where you can do the model you describe where you have a, a set of shared services and then developers deploy just the ones they care about. And very large companies, they do that because some of our customers may have not hundreds, thousands of microservices because spread across multiple organizations. So that is a different story, but overall we do recommend, Hey, get a full environment, whatever full means for your team. Because the other thing that Octero gives you is the ability to develop, to work on just one of them at a time. And this is very important. And it's also a big change from the previous generation of tooling where it was kind of like all or nothing. You know, like with Docker Compose, which I'm a big fan of, uh, and we integrate fully with, it was like, hey, put everything in Compose or, or nothing. Octero allows you to like deploy your environment. And then we have the CLI called Octero. So you run Octero up where you tell Octero, hey, I'm working on this one service. So then that's the one service that you're like doing things like code synchronization, hot reloading, remote debugging. Everything else stays the way it was before, so you don't have to think about it. And then when you go and access the environment, you're still getting like the end-to-end -end experience, but one 
or two or whatever, as many as you're working on, services are on this, what we call dev mode, while the rest are in like deploy mode. And this helps, or we believe it helps developers also not have to think of so many things at the same time. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm working on the API, I'm writing code there, but with this environment, uh, once I'm done, I can run this validation to make sure that my API is interacting with my front end, with my queuing service, with my database, with my search index, with my feature flags. And, and that to me is kind of when you're going to see this, this jackpot of, of a modern dev experience that doesn't get in the way. And going back to the, that hit you get when you're like writing code, like, you know, with Octero, once you have it all set up, it takes less than a second to like make a code change and see it running on your dev environment. You're not waiting for builds. You're not waiting for redeploys. It's very fast. And this is why, because if it's not fast, you lose inspiration and you're not as productive. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I guess you're right. Like I, I haven't, I still haven't like fully acclimated to how much easier Kubernetes makes that to, to spin up a huge number of services and manage that in like an automated way. Uh, I'm still like a, a little bit behind that. Cause I, I do remember like how much time we spent sort of explaining the routing logic in like this dev environment microservices thing. We're like, hey, if you have an, another service with the same branch, it like routes to that, otherwise it goes to the main one. And it was just, it was just very confusing. Um, so that's that's really awesome. Well, like I'm, I'm super excited uh, about this new environment. And uh, one thing I always like to ask people is just like, what, what are you excited about for the future? It could be around, um, around you know, this area, developer environments, data, um, data um, work, copying and things like that, or just like programming languages, chat GBT, whatever it is. So uh, John, I'll start with you. Like, what, what are you excited about? What, what's kind of um, getting you going right now? I'm, I'm bullish on these ephemeral environments, remote environments. Um, I think, you know, you're just bullish on the cloud. And uh, I think we're going to see more and more development moving to the cloud. And um, I think it makes things a lot easier uh, you know, if you're onboarding new engineers. How many, how many, how many hours are wasted just onboarding a new engineer? They can't get everything working on their machine, um, and so I think this is going to change that. And I think you know, being able to have not just the the application, but also the data that you need is, I'm super psyched about it. Absolutely, Ramiro. What about you? What are, what are you excited about? Yeah, I'm, I'm. So one of the things I'm really excited about is how you know our industry has changed over the past. 10 years in the sense that, you know, the, the, the advent of coding camps and all these other things, I think have really changed our industry. Like now, not every engineer, not every developer comes from this kind of like hardcore CS background. So this is exciting because it's, it's helping us build a more diverse profession, but I think it's also very exciting because this is forcing us to build better tools for all of these different backgrounds, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I've always been a big believer in like the power of tools to enable teams to like accomplish their mission. But before I think tools were like more hard to use. Like I'm a Vim user, but you know, Vim is not an easy to use tool. Uh, and then you have to like VS code and like the other side of the spectrum. So I'm very excited about how developer experience is no longer a niche and how all companies, my, mine included and Prismax as well, they're being, they're, we're all native now to this idea of like, hey, it has to be easy to use. It has to reduce friction. And I'm very excited because all of these tools and then all the, all the new advancements on things like Copilot, code completion, making it easier to navigate logs, 
more than that, it's exciting on its own. But what I'm really excited about is how this is going to enable everybody to be way better at solving problems and how like technology is kind of less and less a friction and more like, hey, I need to spin up a thousand jobs because I need to do run this ML workload. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, don't think about it. Just run it. Hey, I need to build this massive application and I need data from production because it's, it's sensitive. There's a solution for that now. And that to me is very exciting because it's going to enable this whole new generation of developers to be super effective at, at solving things that we can even imagine. And, and that is very exciting, both from, you know, the diversity aspect of like getting more people into the industry, but also because we're going to be cooling, we're building a lot cooler things just because there's more people from different places involved. So I'm, I'm very excited about all that. And I think, I think AI data, uh, GP, cheap GPUs, uh, you know, and of course the family environments, but I'm, I'm biased there. Uh, I think are going to be a key part of, of making this even better for, for future generations. Yeah. I think that developer experience one is, is great. And I, like, I always think like the best thing that can happen to an area is, is sort of for the JavaScript community to get involved with it because it's like, it's so broad and they're like, sort of like, you know, it's kind of the wild west, but they also like, they're just like a million sort of experiments going on at once and they care about developer experience and like, it might take them a while, but they do, you know, especially like I'm more back end, you know, I like Vim, all that sort of stuff. But like when, when the JavaScript folks get here, they like come in and, and like make it easier to use in a lot of, in a lot of great ways, which is, which is fun to see. So um that's great so hey ramiro john i've i've really enjoyed having both of you on uh, i want both of you to tell me where they can find out more uh, about each of you and about your companies ramiro maybe go first yeah so um uh, octero.com you can find more about the company if, if this is an area that you're interested in we have a free trial there's a free cloud service as well for for anybody to kind of start experimenting with this idea and i'm fairly active on twitter and mastodon so you can find me there uh, R Berryessa is my handle. Uh, I'll, I'll say to you, Alex, and maybe we can put it on the on the on the blurb of the episode. And if you're in Amsterdam in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at KubeCon EU. Nothing just to be there as well. So that that'll be a great place for all of us to, to catch up if anybody is there that wants to talk about dev experience, Vim, or anything in between. Awesome, thank you. And, and John, what about you? Yeah, just look for Privacy Dynamics on the on the internets. You can also uh, find me on LinkedIn. And we also, as um, similar to Romero, we offer a, um, a free, a free sign-up to use our SaaS service. Look forward to connecting with people and helping them unlock data. Awesome. John, Romero, thank you for joining. And thank you for solving this problem that's vexed me for you know all the years I've been in software development. I'm, I'm excited to see progress on this space. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, everyone, go check out these, these two great services. Thanks, Alex. It was a lot of fun hanging out with both of you. Thanks, Alex. Take care.